0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your girl Mitzi and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. Today I have a special guest. I have Doug here with us. He is going to be sharing with us his personal story as well as his journey with helping others. He has a great story that I was very intrigued to know. Not only did he overcome disabilities physically, he was also able to help other individuals in the prison system so that they can know that they have a purpose still, even though they're locked up. So, Doug, why don't you go ahead and um, introduce yourself?
1: Okay, Mitzi, well, thanks for having me here. I hope to have a really interesting conversation with you. By way of background, I was born with a lot of what we call disabilities today. I was born in 1950, a long time ago for a lot of people, I know. I was born almost blind, partially deaf, crippled with two club feet, left-handed, had teeth. I mean, the list just went on and on and on and on. And in those days, although I grew up in privilege and affluence, my parents had no clue how to deal with somebody that was had the problems that I had. And so I had a really rough childhood. Although I didn't lack for anything materially, I did not have a lot of emotional support. The one thing I did have going for me was a good intellect. And ultimately, I was accepted at and attended Dartmouth College, an Ivy League school and in New Hampshire. And then after college, came back to California and entered law school and became a lawyer. And for 22 years, I was a trial lawyer trying very complex, large commercial cases, usually involving a lot of money and a lot of complexity. And through a series of circumstances that are interesting but probably not relevant, I, in mid-career, decided that being a trial lawyer was not my calling. So when I was 48 years old, I went back to school to earn my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies. And in 2000, I gave my, after many, many discussions with my law partners, I gave them a week's notice and walked out. I left $10 million on the table and started my own peacemaking and mediation practice.
0: Yeah, I've seen seen it made um, prison for peace. And what really uh, got you into prison of peace? And why did you mm -hmm. decide to focus your area of expertise in prisoners?
1: So after I left the practice of law, that was in 2000, I began working as a mediator and a neutral and also developed some unique de-escalation tools. Ten years later, in 2010, uh, my close friend and colleague, Laurel Coffer, called me. I live in Central California. She lives in Los Angeles. And she called me and said, hey, I want to read this letter to you. And it was a letter written by uh, Susan Russo, who was a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole at the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which happens to be about an hour and 15 minutes from where I live. And in that letter, Susan asked if Laurel would be wanting to come in and teach a networking group composed of life inmates uh, in this prison to become peacemakers and mediators so they could stop the prison violence. And she read the letter to me, and so what do you think? I said, I think we should do this. So that's how it started. It took us six months to get permission to start. But in April 2010, we uh, started with our first group of 15 women, ages 30, roughly 30 to 65, all different ethnicities and extremely diverse, but they were all serving either life or long-term sentences. We had developed a complete curriculum of how to take somebody who has no skills whatsoever and turn them into a powerful peacemaker. And at that time, it was a 12-week roughly a 12-week process. And it exceeded our expectations beyond imagination. By the time we were three weeks into the first cohort, we had a waiting list of 300 women who had heard about the program and wanted to get training. And so we started, the first cohort was 15, and then the next cohorts after that were 30 and 40 women in a cohort, which was so we could get serve as many women as we could. And then we started teaching the women how to teach. So we we took, of that first 15, about eight of them became trainers. And by three years later, we had built a completely sustainable program, Prison of Peace Program at Valley State Prison for Women, and had received a letter from the warden saying he could no longer call this the largest, most violent women's prison in the world. Things had really quieted down as a result of the peacemaking efforts of the women that we had trained. So the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation in California had made the decision to repurpose the prison to a men's prison. And the warden asked us to come back and teach the men. And we weren't sure how that was gonna work, but we said, okay, we'll give it a try. And so for the next, from 2013 until 2016, We did exactly the same thing in the same prison, but this time working with males who were incarcerated, all lifers and long-termers, and got exactly the same results that we had with the women. And we were just about ready to stop because we had no money. This was all pro bono when we started getting a series of grants from the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation that allowed us to expand into other prisons in Central and Southern California. And then we got a grant to to do prisons in Connecticut. And a colleague of ours came to the United States and studied with us, and she started Prison of Peace in Greece. And now we've got four people starting Prison of Peace in Italy. And we've got, pandemic of course stopped everything, but we've got people in Kenya ready to roll out Prison of Peace in Kenya. So we're starting to go international. And we spent, because we couldn't do any in-prison programming, obviously because of COVID, we've spent the last year filming our entire curriculum And now we're in post-production right now, and we're working on the manuals. And by sometime mid-year, probably June or July, Prison of Peace, the Prison of Peace curriculum will be available to anybody in the world who wants to start Prison of Peace in their prison or jail or reentry house or domestic relations shelter or any place where they feel like they can be of service. So it's pretty exciting for us.
0: Wow, that is very impressive, especially with the fact that you guys have been able to go internationally. And... To be honest, it doesn't seem like it took that long. You know, it seems like I know that, you know, years goes by, but after the foundation set, it really sounds like it really went off fast. Well,
1: we had no when we started in 2010, we had no idea where this was going to go. We just felt compelled as peacemakers and mediators to train these women and had no grandiose plans of building a big organization and expanding internationally. And it just happened. I mean, the idea of turning a murderer into a peacemaker is so interesting it is. it's
0: kind of bizarre you know yeah. you, Can you, do you it? exactly you wouldn't have assumed some serial killer would be able to talk somebody out of killing someone right. you know right. you wouldn't expect that and i personally wouldn't expect that but it sounds like you guys do have more of a compassion to individuals in the prison system you know it sounds like you know you from your background in law that you kind of knew that this was something that a direction you wanted to be in is, is that right
1: well i didn't you know i left the practice of law in 2000 and prison of peace didn't start for 10, 10 years after that. I had no, no idea when I left a successful career as a trial lawyer that I would 10 years later be working in maximum security prisons training murderers to be peacemakers. I mean, I had no clue. It's just what happens is when you follow, you just follow your passions and these opportunities present themselves to you. And they just random events that happen and you follow it and you know, if you're lucky, it leads to some pretty amazing work and that's what prison of peace has been i mean we put in a lot of hard work this is not easy work going no. into a prison and training people but but we did it we made a lot of mistakes we learned how to do it and built a system that's replicable and duplicable and you know we're able to we've served over 20,000 inmates over the last 12 years and of the inmates in california that have been released on parole that went through our program none of them have reoffended 0% oh,
0: that's impressive. Not even reoffenders offenders after gone no, really, the like no they gone through your program. It's like they really took that information with them That's and right. allowed it to sink in so that when they went back into the real world that they knew how to live life again. Because that is a very high statistic for individuals to recommit crimes after leaving the prison system. So that is very impressive. I guess my next question is, I guess a little bit more personal, you know, because you stated you had a couple, you know, I mean, not a couple, a lot, a lot of disabilities growing up and, you know, getting yourself around and just doing things, you know, how did you overcome those personal disabilities or those personal obstacles? Because for you, it wasn't a disability. For you, it's just who you are. So how did you, how were you able to teach others around you that this is just who you are? And they may see it as a disability, but for you, it's not a disability.
1: Well, each of those problems I had presented different problems and different solutions for my club feet. I underwent a lot of surgery when I was very young. I couldn't walk until I was 3 years old. Mm. And even then, uh, and even today, you know, I'm not as mobile as I can do a lot of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've done a lot, a lot of accomplishments, but you just have to work with it. My vision it turns out that nobody could understand why I was doing poorly in school until the 4th grade when a school nurse decided to test my vision and found out that my vision was 2500. I was blind and they put big old coke style glass black glasses Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh total total geek at a time in the 50s when that was not cool. and all of a sudden i could see i advanced three grade levels in one summer to the astonishment of everybody uh and i just became an avid reader and was just all i wanted to do was read and i read everything uh i'll never forget i was that summer, I think I was in the our public library in our community, in the in the adult section. And the librarian called my mother and said, he's in the adult section. What do you want me to do? Said, Let him read whoever he wants to read. This is great.
0: Yeah. Right? So,
1: so that solved that problem. And then, but my biggest problem growing up, although I did have these physical challenges, was that it was emotional because I had, I was pretty wounded emotionally by all of this stuff, you know, when you're a kid and you you can't be athletic because you're crippled and you got to wear thick glasses and you know you're just not you're not going to be one of the cool kids and so that was tough and I covered it up with my intellect and, and arrogance but underneath I was really really wounded and it took me a long 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 time to get over that arrogance and to really start moving into my authentic self a lot of personal work however I mean I really Tell people my life really didn't start until I turned 50. And then since then, I've just lived a blessed life of happiness and joy and service. But it took a long time. It took a long time to get there. And a lot yeah. of her.
0: it sounds like it took a while for you to really align yourself in a way where you now you can enjoy life where you're at peace, you do seem like you're at peace, you seem like you have like a, a calm, just a around you, you're just like very calm and at peace. So that's nice. back to your prisoners of peace. Was there a story besides Susan's that really stood out with you and that that you kept to heart or that really impacted Y- you personally, or just really was like, wow, I can't believe this?
1: Yeah. Uh, the, the very first story that I tell, uh, I have a lot of stories, of course, but the one that I tell the most is the first time it really hit me about how profound our work was. We had, This was about week five of our training of our first cohort of women. And we came into the place, the training place. And let me tell you, prisons are not nice places to teach. They're dirty and ugly and it's not like a high-end corporate <laughs> conference room at all. It's about right. as far from that as you can possibly imagine. But we came into this dingy conference room where we were working and half the fluorescent lights were out and one of our students, Sarah, was sitting in a corner quietly sobbing, crying. Mm-hmm. And so we walked over and Laurel knelt next to her and said, Sarah, what's going on? And Sarah told us this story. She said, I'm serving a 25 to life sentence. And the reason that I'm in prison is because I was an alcoholic and 18 years ago, I was drunk and killed a family of four as a drunk driver. I came out of the accident without a scratch, but I basically killed a family. So when I was sentenced to prison, I had to give up my three-year-old boy to my sister Therese, and I've written him every single week since i've been in prison and i've never heard a word from him. he's never called me he's never written to me he's never come to visit me everything i know about him i get through my sister well earlier this week i decided to write a different kind of letter a letter along the lines of which you have been teaching us about how to listen to emotions and i just imagined all of the emotions that he must have been feeling over these last 18 years and i wrote a long letter just basically reflecting on his experience having had his mother abandon him and and go to prison. And today, for the first time in 18 years, I received a letter back from him. and He was really angry, which he had every right to be. But at the end, he said, I love you, Mom. P.S. I'm bringing my girlfriend and we'll come visit you in three weeks. And she started crying again, and I just was floored by that. And I thought, wow, we really have something special here and very, very powerful. And that's when I realized that the power of what we were teaching had the ability to really profoundly affect people's lives.
0: Yeah, I would have felt the same thing as you. You guys are really going against the odds, going against what people... Expect, you know what I mean? Once somebody goes to jail, nobody expects to receive any type of information or any type of communication. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they feel like they're written off just for dead, basically, you know. And it's good that you're giving hope again, you know, you're teaching them something that is important, you know. And I truly feel that not only do prisoners need to learn this, you know a lot of people need to learn that you know a lot of people need to learn just how to understand what they do and how it affects people and the emotions that they're going through inside and you know and everybody's actions affect somebody else's life in some way somehow you know and i feel that now this generation is trying to do that you know and and i can see that you've been on this roller coaster For a while of just going against the odds and I think you're the perfect person to represent that, you know, just because not only you have that personal story, you also have these stories of helping others that are trying to go against the odds you know, so I applaud you for that. That's amazing. I was looking at the website and I was just seeing, you know, the news of what you guys done. And it's it's very impressive. I even got to see Susan Russo oh, holding, right. the, uh,
1: holding the holding, plaque, holding, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, holding the plaque, I guess. How did she get that again by just
1: so, in those days, the, the legal newspapers in California, owned by the same company, the LA Daily Journal and the San Francisco Register, I think it's called, I'm not sure. They do a an annual piece on mediators and arbitrators and lawyers who are providing neutral services to help people resolve conflicts and lawsuits. And they had somehow heard about our project. And they also awarded a Mediator of the Year Award. And they found out about the project, and there was a big Peace Day celebration at Valley State Prison for Women, and Prison of Peace was featured in that. But the editorial board, LA Daily Journal, decided that they would make a special award to the women of Prison of Peace at Valley State Prison for Women and honor them with Peacemaker of the Year Award. So they sent reporters up from Los Angeles to Chowchilla on Peace Day. And what you saw in those photographs was the the women being awarded this quite impressive recognition for the work they had done as peacemakers and mediators in the prison. And it was unique. And of course, they were thrilled and honored. And, you know, it was quite the honor that they received and all due to their hard work. I mean, they worked very hard and they weren't seeking any kind of accolade or award. It just happened. And then there was a huge article and spread in the LA Daily Journal about prison at peace. And they did a Mm -hmm. big, big devoted almost the whole day to the project.
0: Oh, wow. That's impressive. That's very impressive. So when you were doing this and working with individuals in the prison system, inmates, did you ever have an inmate that was kind of reluctant or didn't fully understand or didn't, you know what I'm asking?
1: Mm -hmm. When we first start in a prison, and we've started in over 15 or 20 prisons, so we know how to do startups. In the beginning, there's an enormous amount of skepticism Mm, and people in that who are incarcerated self-select into our program in other words they decide they want to give this a try and see what it's about and typically what happens is that they we get we'll start off with about 25 in a first class and it'll winnow down to about 15 and they'll stick with us and ultimately they'll become our future trainers in our first class but the word spreads very quickly in prison that this is new and different and it's effective and it's powerful. And so word of mouth is really the best way to get things happening, and we don't have to say anything. Now, when people come into the program to learn, they are, every kind of ethnicity you can imagine, there are all kinds of different educational levels from grade school all the way up to doctorates and professional degrees, learning disabilities, mental illness, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so we've had to learn how to teach to this extremely diverse, challenged population, and we've also learned that a lot of the skills we teach are counterintuitive to what people think they know about making peace and conflict. And so there's a lot of skepticism. And all we do is ask them to just do what we tell them to do, practice it, and you know, usually within a couple of weeks, the skepticism is completely gone, and they become avid students and practitioners because they see that what we teach really works. You really can calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less, and so that's how it works occasionally people will come in they hear prison of peace and they think it's some faith or religious thing and we say no 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 we're secular (laughs) and uh, so they leave but most of the time people come in skeptical and leave ardent believers in the process
0: that's good and what are the main core values of prison of peace like what do you what are those core values that you guys try to share and represent
1: well our program is based on a philosophy known as restorative justice Prison of Peace is not a restorative justice program per se, but the philosophy of restorative justice, which is when there is conflict or offense, the only way there's going to be true justice is if the victim, offender, and the community come together to talk about what happened, to discuss and agree on how to make things as right as possible, and to prevent future harm. So when we're training all of these people to be peacemakers, we're training them to basically do that process. Bring people together that are in conflict, have them talk about the conflict, have them talk about and make agreements about how to make things right, and then how to prevent future conflict and thereby eliminate violence in the prison. And and what we have found universally is that even with the most violent offenders, the reason that they use violence is because it's the only conflict resolution method they've ever learned. Babies are not born as murderers. They're bred to be murderers by their families. And if they don't know anything other than violence, and that's what they're going to use when they are confronted with a conflict, what we have found is that none of them like violence. And when offered powerful alternatives that can solve problems peacefully, they take to it like ducks to water. They love it
0: because oh, it works. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine, I don't like violence, you know what I mean? If you choose option A or an option B and option A is violent, I'm going to choose option B no matter what it is. That's smart, you know, just trying to put, I truly believe that everybody knows good and bad, you know, just sometimes people are just pushed to a certain extent where they feel like they just have to do bad or they just have to do it or they don't recognize what is good for them is, is bad for other in other people's eyes. Right. So I think just separating that and just bringing it to light is what's needed so that's good that you guys do that and that's your core values is trying to change people's perspective and seeing it differently like i said earlier that's amazing um do you think this is ever going to Branch out to like community centers and boys and girls clubs and things like that. Or are you guys? Well, it,
1: it already is in many ways. I mean, there are many many community justice centers around the country that engage in victim offender dialogue and community mediation. We take it. Our training is much more rigorous and lengthy than the training that you would get in a community justice center or a community mediation center because we're working with a population that has no skills, and so we have to teach them a lot of basic skills in communication and listening and problem solving before we can ever teach them how to become mediators. But it's already out there. I mean, the work we've just taken, we're both law professors at Pepperdine University School of Law, the Strauss Institute of Dispute Resolution. And we just take what we already know and refined it for this particular population. And they're able to successfully deploy it once they learn it in their prison communities.
0: Awesome, that's a good idea. That's great. So I'm going to ask you a question that's a little bit off topic, a little fun question. This will lighten up the mood a little bit. So what is a fun way to answer an everyday question? Like, how is it going? Or what do you do? What is a fun way to answer that type of question? For me? Yeah, for you. So
1: somebody asked me what I do.
0: Yeah, like, what do you do? Or how is your day going? What would be a fun way to respond?
1: Uh Huh, fun way. To, I guess by fun, you mean it'll bring a smile to somebody's.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like bring a smile or bring a little joy. What What would you be your answer?
1: Well, what, what I do every day at five o'clock is I walk away from my computer and I pick up my violin and I play jazz and blues.
0: Oh, that is very different. Uh-huh. That must be very zen for you, very relaxing, huh? It
1: is, it to- uses a different kind of my brain. I could be exhausted from working all day and pick up my violin and an hour later, I'm completely rested and feel good. I'm ready to get on with the evening.
0: Well, that- fun response that's different thank you you're that welcome very... i used to play violin when i was in grade school mm. until my sister broke my violin <laughs> <laughs> and then after that i had to stop because my mom didn't want to re get me uh, get me a new violin she said it was my fault but whatever <laughs> but i think it is very relaxing when you're able to just zone out and just refocus your mind on something very specific, like the sound of music, I can truly get lost by the sound of music. Truly right. get lost. It is very relaxing. And I guess to wrap up the show, what would be some good advice that you may have for me or to my audience out there that may be listening? Well,
1: I teach, the fundamental skill we teach in Prison Peace is how to de-escalate, basically through a process known as emotional reflection. And I believe that this is a foundational skill that every human being on the planet must master. Uh, it's not hard to learn, but you do have to be taught it. And so I've created some resources, uh, for you and your audience to go learn about it and, the, and, the, the, um, the website URL to learn about these resources is Doug dougnoll, dot c o slash Mitzi. Oh, I built a page just for you, you did and on that, that, and on that page, c o slash Mitzi is a free ebook that talks about all the techniques that we teach. You can also get a copy of my fourth book, my best-selling book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. You can buy my video course, How to Calm an Angry per- my De-Escalate video course, for $200. And then if you want to really invest in yourself, you can buy my basic and emotional uh, my emotional competency courses, courses, which teach you how to become emotionally competent and be able to know what to say, when to say and how to say it no matter how intense the situation. So the, all those resources can be found at dougknoll.co slash Mitzi. What I tell people is that if you live in an environment where there's anger, or conflict, or upset, you can change all of that. You can live a life and never have a fight or an argument again with anybody. If you simply are willing to take the time to learn some basic skills based on neuroscience, not based on psychology, about how our brain really works. and Once you master those skills, you will learn how to listen other people into existence. And every time you interact, you'll be creating a ripple of peace. And over years and years and years of life, you will create tidal waves of peace as you continue to practice this this stuff. And so that's what I encourage people to do. Take the courses, learn how to do it, and then go out and practice.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Doug. Thank you for the exclusive websites for my audience so that they can have a quick access. I just finished adding that website to my um, mitzithinking.com. Under special guests, under your picture, you'll be able to find that link directly so that you'll have access to this learning to de-escalate a situation that may be going out of hand. You know, these are things that people need to take advantage of, you know, I didn't really know that there was a difference between psychological and neuroscience. But oh, yeah. to, to explain it, yeah. it makes sense. And I think it's very important that people do have that neuroscience perspective, not just psychological, because I think psychological people like myself, you know, they just assume more than versus actually having the knowledge to back up the facts and the real reason behind it. You know, because I'm a person that assumes sometimes, you know i'm not saying it's the best method and i'm not saying it's the worst but you know having those facts behind it really do give people a better understanding so when they say why you're doing this or why should i listen well now you have some science and you have some facts behind you so that you can really iterate to those people that need that more information so thank you for that dog i really appreciate that it's awesome This has been a great conversation. I thank you for your time. And my listeners, please stay tuned. Please check out the site. Check out his book. You know, check out the resources that are out for you so that you can start making that change because the changing the world doesn't happen until you change yourself and you change your frame of mind. And then you can start helping changing the world. So start with yourself first. It's always important. (laughs) Until next time, y'all. Bye.